I'm Sylvia Burgos-Toffness, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. My husband Dave and I raise uh, 100% grass-fed beef on open pastures. And uh, it's calving season. We have four glorious little uh, calves currently running around their moms. The moms sedately sedately kind of walk around, and the little calves are like children. They just run, 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 run right across the field. But it's terrific to see that energy. You know, and it's marvelous to be able to take a look out at beef that um, has room to roam. Yeah, exactly. That is, in fact, exposed to the sunshine that helps build strength, build Mm -hmm. grass. And to be able to do this uh, without the use of any types of subtherapeutic chemicals, yeah, yeah. no antibiotics in the feed. They get only only uh, grasses and clovers and herbs. And in the winter, of course, they get hay. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's fun to talk to the other farmers that I know as well, those who are practicing sustainable methods, and know that even if they do decide to feed grain at times and corn, they select for a uh, feed that's not medicated mm-hmm. because they don't want to build up a resistance within their yeah. herd because if you build up a resistance, then when something gets sick, you know, what do you treat it with? Exactly. You know, and it makes me think back to about 25 years ago. One day I woke up, and this was very, very strange. I woke up with a uh, staph infection oh. under the skin of my head. And I was a little bit out to lunch because of the high fever that came with it. Ended up in the hospital for three days taking antibiotics intravenously. It was a bad deal. Um, When I got to the hospital, the doctor said, "Uh, do you mind if we keep you here? Because this infection is kind of close to your brain. And I said, what do you mean, do I mind? (laughs) Um, Let's get the show on the road and and fight this. And fortunately, they had the antibiotics that worked. Now, this is 25 years ago. You know, let's fast forward. And I know I've had colleagues, these are close friends, who've been in hospital for days and days and days because they couldn't get rid of an outbreak Mm -hmm. on their bodies. And my own uh, stepdaughter has a colleague who is now in the hospital fighting for his life with MRSA. And so... When we hear about superbugs and we hear about antibiotic-resistant bacteria, it's hitting close to home. And this morning, we are so fortunate to have with us as a guest someone who is expert in taking a look at the public health problems associated with antibiotic-resistant bacteria. She is Dr. Gail Hansom. She is a doctor of veterinary medicine who has been involved with the whole um, examination of of bacteria, how it travels in the livestock, and how it affects human public health. Mm -hmm. 
She's with the Pew Charitable Trusts, especially with the program on health initiatives. Um, and someone uh, whom I guess I will be meeting pretty soon, Dr. <laughs> Gail Hansen, how are you this morning? I'm doing fine, thank you. And I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning because lots of us have read articles or heard newspaper store uh, heard news stories on TV and radio about this thing called superbugs or antibiotic resistant bacteria or other kinds of, of uh, kind of infectious uh, germs. How big a problem is that? It's a big problem, and it's a worldwide problem. There was a just a report that the World Health Organization put out uh, earlier this week that said this is a crisis, that antibiotic resistance is a global crisis. Um, our own Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, has said the same thing. They put out a report last fall saying, we're at crisis mode. This is not going away, and it's going to get worse faster if we don't do something soon. Now, when you say crisis, exactly what do you mean? I mean, what does that mean for me? You know, I'm a mom. I've got grandchildren. What does that mean for me? Well, what it means is that we've got antibiotics that are not working anymore, and, and the reason is that the bacteria have become resistant to the, the antibiotics that we have to treat disease. And coupled with that is the fact that we're just not inventing or discovering new antibiotics as fast as we used to. So the bacteria are becoming resistant to the um, antibiotics that we have. We don't have any new ones coming down the pike. So that means the, that when we need an antibiotic, there may not be one that works for us. Oh, man. So how many people does this affect? I mean, what does it mean in far as way as you know, casualties or people becoming ill? I don't have worldwide figures because there's not we don't have a lot of data on that, but in uh, in the United States, the CDC has some very conservative ef estimates, and they conservatively estimate that from just antibiotic-resistant bacteria, there are over 2 million people in the United States who get sick with antibiotic-resistant infections every year, and 23,000 people die in the United States every year from antibiotic-resistant infections. So that's a big deal. Wow. I'd say. Now, how did this happen? A lot of different ways. So whenever we use an antibiotic, it creates the potential to develop these resistant bacteria, or sometimes people will call them superbugs. Um, and when the antibiotics are not used at levels or doses that are high enough to kill bacteria, it occurs even more frequently. Mm. That means that the antibiotics become less effective, of course, when you need to treat disease. Can we, can we go back again and, and, and just mention that? because I don't want people to kind of gloss over this. So if you don't use it correctly, I mean, if you use it in low doses, the opportunities to create superbugs increases? Right. If you're using in that low doses, it um, allows more bacteria to overcome, if you will, overcome those antibiotics, and those are the ones that reproduce and, and multiply. And if you have low doses, there, like I said, there are more bacteria that are able to do that, and you're creating these superbugs even faster. And we, there are lots of ways that we underdose or, or don't give them at the right levels. One of the biggest ways is, is how we deal with a lot of our livestock in this country. Okay, so give us some details on that. What do you mean by that? What I mean is that in this country, that antibiotics oftentimes are given to perfectly healthy animals. They're not sick at all. They have no signs of illness, but they're used to get them to grow a little bit faster 
or to prevent diseases that are occurring because of the crowding and sometimes the unhygienic conditions that we're, we're raising these animals in. Oh, uh, the drugs are available without a veterinary prescription or any veterinary over, oversight or involvement. So we can hardly design a better system to create superbugs. Okay, so let me, let me just go through this a little bit again. So you got perfectly healthy livestock. And you're using right. antibiotics as a growth stimulant. Right. Not to deal with any kind of illness at the moment. But it's also being used as kind of a, is it, I don't know how you'd say it, but is it like a preventative? So that if you've got, you know, 10,000 head of cattle in a tiny space for months on end, standing in manure and on cement, so that they don't get overly sick? Right, or at least that's the theory. Now, of course, they do use antibiotics. Antibiotics are sometimes used to treat sick animals, but often sure. it's used to either get them to, as you said, to get them to grow faster or fatten up a little faster, or um, in an attempt to keep them from getting disease because they're so, they can be so crowded. I mean, if you look at how chickens are raised or cattle are raised sometimes or pigs are raised, they're literally, chickens are beak to beak, and, and cattle and pigs are snout to tail, um, with each other, they have, you know, that's the perfect way to spread disease. Wow, wow. So let me ask you, how how big an issue is this? I mean, when we're talking about antibiotics and how much is used, you know, how much is used just as a growth stimulant, and how much is used actually to treat sick people? Well, I I can't give you all the details because we don't know them all. What we do know is that we use about four times as many antibiotics to for food animals as we do on people. And breaking that down to numbers, we use about 30 million pounds of antibiotics every year for animals. And we, we're estimating that probably about 70% of that's used for healthy animals. Wow. We use about 7 million pounds on people, but about 30 million pounds on animals. We don't know for absolute sure because we just don't have that information. Holy mackerel. So... We've got millions and millions and millions of pounds of antibiotics that are being used as growth stimulants. And those, you know, those are being, I mean, how is that administered? I mean, how, how are those animals getting these antibiotics? Most of the time, 90% of those antibiotics are given in, mixed into the feed or given in, uh, mixed into the water. So the animals are getting them in their food and their water. So they're getting them that way. And, of course, any of the food or water waste goes someplace. Uh-huh. So you've got then uh, antibiotic-laced food or water that the animal either doesn't eat or goes out as manure that gets into our waterways, gets put on, gets into our crops, gets onto our land, gets uh, picked up by mice and flies and um, you know birds that transfer it from place to place. So it's a big problem. And so, it, it how is how does it jump? I mean, how does this how do these antibiotic-resistant bacteria jump from the livestock situation to people? I mean, where, how does that kind of effect happen? A lot of different ways, and that's in some ways the scariest part, is that, of course, the, the bacteria are the ones that become resistant to the antibiotics and not us or the animals. So the, bac the resistant bacteria, of course, can just multiply because that's what bacteria do, but they can also, um, how they get 
how they get from animals to people a couple of different ways, either you know direct contact if you're a farmer or a rancher or, or working with farmers or ranchers, um, just directly contacting the animals, of course, can make you, uh, can, can put you in contact with these bacteria. Um, as, we process, as the meat gets processed, meat and poultry gets processed, there may be bacteria from the animal's intestinal system, which is where most of the resistant bacteria are, that can get into the meat and, and contaminate the meat. That's why we have foodborne outbreaks. There have been outbreaks recently in, in chicken. And so if you eat that, you can get, get sick you know, in a very direct way. But also, in your kitchen, if you're not scrupulously clean, and I mean clean like an operating room clean, you can contaminate your kitchen very easily. You know, you, you open up the package, and then you open up the garbage can, and then all of a sudden you've contaminated the garbage can. And then you turn on the faucet, and you've contaminated the faucet. You pick up the knife. You contaminated the knife. Uh, so there's those are real direct ways. But then the bacteria also, um, like I said, most of them are in the intestinal system. Most of those go out as manure. That manure doesn't disappear. <laughs> that manure goes someplace, and it either goes eventually to go onto crops, or um, if you've got flooding, or it goes into the waterways, it gets into the water. As the animals go from um, from the farm to the slaughter plant, they're going in trucks. Those mm -hmm. trucks luckily have air holes, right? <laughs> and the manure that's on the animals basically seeds the 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 pathway from the farm to the, the slaughterhouse oh, down the road. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it gets everywhere pretty fast. You know, uh, for the, for you who have just joined us this morning, we're conversing with Dr. Gail Hansen, uh, who is with Pew Charitable Trusts and their efforts in um, health initiatives. And right now the topic is antibiotic-resistant bacteria, how that is a huge public health issue right now. It's a crisis and how there is a connection with the overuse of antibiotics in the U.S.'s industrial uh, livestock production. Now, Dr. Hansen, you have a background in public health, and you've worked on various national committees. Uh, you're, you were a Congressional Science Policy Fellow. Um, you've seen this kind of develop over time, and you've called it a crisis what is it that we can do? I mean, is right, are we just it, stuck here? Um, I don't think we're doomed. I'm pretty much of an optimist. So there are things that, that we can do. Can we stop the bacteria from becoming resistant completely? Probably not. They've been around longer than we have, and they're, that's what they do. Um, but we can slow that down, and we can be good um, guardians or good stewards of, of antibiotics. And, and we can look at ways to... Um, change what we're doing um, to slow that down, and and you know certainly we can uh, vote with your fork, so to speak. So buy meat that's raised um, when antibiotics are either not used at all or used judiciously. Encourage hospitals and schools and cafeterias and restaurants in your community to switch to responsibly raised meats that don't use antibiotics as production tools. Mm. Uh, that's what you can do specifically. There are also um, you know, write to your member of Congress. There's um, uh, there's legislation in both the Senate and the House side in, in Congress to that would say, look, if we're going to use antibiotics on food animals, let's do it responsibly. Let's use it certainly to treat sick animals, 
or if we've got disease to keep that disease from spreading. But let's not let's not squander it. Let's go back a little bit to what you said a little earlier, because I think it might have been a fact that many people don't recognize, and and it's perhaps worth uh, mentioning again. You you had said um, that these antibiotics are available to live to- livestock producers without prescription. And that's something that would be foreign to most people. You know, most of us, you know, have, don't encounter antibiotics unless we've been to a doctor who has written out a prescription, then we travel over to the pharmacy and pick it up. So you're saying that it's different? Yes, in, in with food animals that certainly there are some antibiotics that need a veterinary prescription, but most of the antibiotics that are used are available over the counter, which means you don't need a veterinary prescription. You don't need a veterinarian to even talk to you about it. Uh, and in fact, in some of the uh, more industrial farms, some of the contract farms, the antibiotic is mixed into the feed that the farmer receives from the person there, the, the company they're contracting with, and it has antibiotic in it, and the farmer may not even know. Even if the farmer does know, he or she has no recourse because that's the feed they're required to give. You but know, it's available over the counter. You can go down to <coughs> the um, feed supply store and pick up antibiotics. Yes, and certainly that's one of the things that I've come to um, see when I go to my feed stores, um, when I go anywhere, even to the larger uh, stores, it's very easy to buy antibiotics. Um, I have had to use it once (laughs) for a cow that was sick, but that was it. Um, The thing that bothers me, it says here, 70% of antibiotic use in farm animals and 50% of such use in people is unnecessary. Now I understand how it can be used in farm animals, but wait a minute. If 50% of such use in people is unnecessary, how are they getting it? It's, it's from prescriptions for the most part, but um, study after study, and I was just at a, a conference where they talked about that, that the antibiotics are either not recommended for use because it's not a bacterial infection, or it's being used, it's the wrong antibiotic is being used, and that's study after study in the United States. And it's, um, most of those studies have been done in hospitals, but also outpatient. So they're um, in hospitals and human medicine. Um, you know, there's fewer antibiotics that are out there, um, but there are programs in place now to try to rein in that use. So there are stewardship programs. So oftentimes, if you've gone, if you have a child, you've gone to the pediatrician. Your pediatrician may say, "Let's not use an antibiotic for this ear infection," or "Here's a prescription, but don't fill it for a couple of days. Use ibuprofen and see how your child does. If you still need it, then." take the antibiotic or they have programs in hospitals where there are antibiotics that can't be used unless the the physician or the, the physician's assistant has talked to uh, their the program at the hospital and they've said yes that's the right antibiotic for that patient so there are lots of things that are being done on the human side to rein that that use in we just haven't seen that on the animal side wow how do we get it well, yeah, that's, that's the next question then, uh, Dr. Hansen. Here we are. This is the situation. You did mention one strategy, which is, as a consumer, I can go and try to find uh, poultry and pork and beef that has been raised with, uh, without these large doses of subtherapeutic antibiotics that have been used as a growth 
you know, stimulant. Um, certainly, you know, part of that is kind of taking a look at the labels and asking your butcher, I mean, do you know how this was raised? Do you know how this uh, comes about? Other kinds of options include um, signing up for a, for a meat share or a meat CSA where you actually talk to the farmer and you say, hey, you know, what are your practices? What are your methods so that I can be assured of what I'm getting? Certainly that is the kind of question I get. Uh, I sell 100% grass-fed beef uh, through my farm, Bullbrook Keep, and that is a question I get. What do you use? What do you feed? Um, I want to, you know, the customer says, I want to stay away from some of these things. Um, I also take part in a, uh, I'm part of a meat CSA with poultry and pork and beef. And that is the question that we were approached with just last week. What is right. it that you're feeding here? And my partner, he goes out and he gets feed that he specifies is pulled together without medication in it. But it really takes an active consumer to kind of look for some of these things, Dr. Hansen. What is it that can be done on the producer side? What, what, what should we be asking for? Or what is the strategy that, that a Pew thinks is a good approach? Well, a couple of things. As you mentioned, actually, the consumers uh, driving demand, saying, this is what I want, and, and either, as you said, with a CSA or knowing your farmer, knowing your meat, um, your schools asking what it, you know what's being fed to my children, mm -hmm. uh, what's what's going on in my hospital, what um, at the restaurants I I go to, where are they getting their meat? Um, but it, um, but there's also you sort of asked what the producer can do and, and what's being done. And one of the things that's being done is the Food and Drug Administration has just come out with a, a set of guidelines that have said. The Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, does not think that giving antibiotics to animals to make them grow faster is a good idea. Mm. So this is injudicious and shouldn't happen anymore. And they're giving uh, drug companies three years to phase that out. So at least the growth promotion in theory in three years should not be used. Um, FDA has said that that won't be considered an appropriate use anymore. That still leaves that prevention, sort of prevention piece, we've got animals that are given antibiotics really as a crutch um, because of, of some of the way we're raising the animals, and FDA hasn't really dealt with that yet. Ah, okay, uh -oh. so that that means that although these guidelines are, are out there and being talked about, it really doesn't address the way that medicated feeds are used in a feedlot situation. Right, it, it probably doesn't, or it, it it most likely won't, and so um, you know, folks can certainly write to FDA and say this we think is still a problem. How do you intend? How do you FDA intend to address that? And as I mentioned, there's also legislation that's in Congress. That um, two pieces of legislation. That one that says that we should only use drugs to treat sick animals or to keep them that disease and animals from spreading, mm -hmm. and then another one that says, let's collect some information so we know who's doing the right thing and who's not, or who, which, if there's a, a part of the in, of the meat industry that's having trouble, are we having more trouble with, with pigs or with turkeys or whatever, mm -hmm. so we, we don't know that because we don't collect enough information to know that kind of detail, but there's a, also legislation in Congress to say, let's get that detail, 
so we can help the farmers. So if the farmers are having trouble doing this, how can we help them? But we can't help them if we don't know where the problem is. Wow. Do you know, has there been much pushback against this le- these kinds of proposed legislation? Yes, there has. Um, because scientifically it makes perfect sense, of course. We know what the problem is. We know what the science is. We know what the microbiology is. The bacteria don't care whether we know it or not. They're going to keep on becoming resistant mm-hmm. whenever they come in contact with the antibiotics. But there are um, several groups that don't think that we should change it. They think the way we're doing things has worked for them, and they're not going to change that. And they've been lobbying Congress to make sure that things don't change. Ah, gee, what a surprise. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, They have been lobbying Congress, and they're backed by a lot of funds and a great deal of inertia. But that doesn't leave us without um, other strategies here. And certainly I am very, very... Uh, both humbled and honored that I'm going to be joining up with Pew next week to actually talk to Congress and some of our congressional leaders about this issue. Um, 30 or so of us are going to be um, next Wednesday in D.C. talking to those uh, elected officials, talking to uh, the FDA, and letting them know what we as moms and dads and farmers and educators and researchers and youth want in the way of saving our antibiotics so that we can still have some if people get sick. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that effort? It is a, 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 Pew is one of the the groups that's sponsoring that effort, but yes, exactly as you said, and we've got um, over 30 um, caregivers, I call them, so they're moms and dads and farmers and ranchers and teachers and um, physicians and researchers who are coming to visit Washington when they're, they're, they're going specifically to their members of Congress to say, hey, this is important to me. This is what needs to be done. You in Congress have the power to, to make this happen. I have elected you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually going to Congress is, is incredibly powerful for them to hear that, yes, people really care, but not everybody can go to, to Washington. I'm right. so glad that people are doing that. But but you can also write your congressman, email them, make a quick phone call. It takes five minutes, and right. they really respond to that. But they're not good. if they don't think that anybody cares, why should they do anything? But if they hear that people care, that people, this is important to them, that they do want antibiotics to work for themselves and, and their children when they get sick and their grandchildren if when their grandchildren get sick, that we've got to do something, we've got to do it now, and that Congress has a chance and a means to to help fix this issue. It so seems to me the obvious uh, reason to do that is the industry does it all the time. They pay those people thousands of dollars to lobby, so it, it shows us a lesson that as individuals, we need right. to get out there and do it. Whether right, they lobbyists are there. Right, lobbyists are there every day that yeah. Congress is in session, every day that Congress isn't in session, telling them that this is what we want, this is what we want, this is what we want. But individuals are the ones who are voting them in, and the individuals, if your member of Congress hears from you, they take they take that very seriously. The lobbyists carry a lot of weight as well, but your vote and your interest is amazingly strong. It is. So if if people want to 
know more about this. They want to know about that process of getting in touch with their elected officials. Dr. Hansen, where can they go? Where oh, is there a website? Is there a phone number they can go to? The the best website, and and I presume everybody has at least access to a website. If not, you can go to your your library. Most libraries have it. Is uh, the website www.saveantibiotics.org. And that will get you to lots of other places. So it's www.saveantibiotics.org. And save antibiotics is all one word. Terrific. I was on there just last night. Uh, you've got so much great information that's real easy to understand and to Thank figure you. out, okay, this is, what, uh, this is what the situation is and this is what I need to do. Dr. Gail Hansen, thank you so much for being with us today on Deep Roots Radio. This has been really eye-opening, you know, letting us know what the situation is and also what it is that each of us can do to kind of save antibiotics for use when we get sick. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. And, and as, as I said, we really have the power to be good guardians of these life-saving, precious resource of antibiotics, so we shouldn't squander them. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.